0: From St. Louis Public Radio.
1: This is St. Louis on the Air. You know, it really serves like an endorsement, right? Absolutely shouldn't have been this hard. It's just that people got discouraged along the way.
0: What do folks like you or the city have to do to not let this opportunity pass us by?
1: This is a defining moment. When you have this much activity and synergy happening in a particular space, you have to capitalize. We laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny then. In twenty sixteen, when we bought that first house, like you you couldn't get a bank to look our way.
0: I'm Danny Wissentowski. On Monday last week, Andre Alexander, lead pastor of the Tabernacle Church in St. Louis, stepped into a bank branch to make a deposit. It wasn't an everyday transaction, but part of the branch's grand opening. And the location? Inside a former elementary school in the Jeff Vanderloo neighborhood, which had sat vacant for more than a decade after it closed in 2002. But now, some 20 years later, and with more than $1 million invested in its rehab, the building is now a community center, and it's become a hub for an ambitious set of efforts to revive and rebuild the neighborhoods around it. And in fact, the hub is the name of that community center. It's not just a bank branch. Since its opening in December, the Hub has added a medical clinic run by Mercy Health Systems, social workers that are on site, as well as legal aid and a speech therapy center from Maryville University. There are just a lot of things happening at the Hub, and that activity is part of the sweeping vision that's driving it. And to talk about that vision, we welcome Andre Alexander. Pastor Andre, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for having me today.
0: Andre, as we mentioned, you are the lead pastor of Tabernacle Church, and you were among those that founded that church around 2012. But just a couple years later, you helped found the Tabernacle Community Development Corporation, and you combined some of the faith mission with a much larger kind of vision for the economic needs and the development needs of the area around you. What brought you to that moment to combine those two missions?
1: Great question. Um, f- for for me, it it is all tied to my my faith beliefs. And I, I believe faith can be tangible, and I believe it is tangible. And it's hard to talk about a God that loves you if you never see the love of that God. And I think through economic development and empowerment, that's one of many ways we get to see God's love. And so— For us and for me as a leader, it was an easy blend when we looked around and saw need. And after community conversation, because we didn't want to just plunge in and just do things, this community had been through that already where people just did things, but never was inclusive. And so after a lot of conversations, it was like, this is the right thing to do.
0: And and just to define sort of what this development corporation does, you, you, you have the church, of course, called the Tabernacle, but
1: what does a community development corporation do? Great question. Um, we, we do a few things. So one of those things is we do housing, uh, not just affordable housing. You know, affordable sometimes can be a buzzword. Affordable us, to us means a house that's safe and quality where families can thrive where they live. So we're into we're into that. We're also into uh, youth and education. So we offer two programs. One of them is called Scholarship Search Initiative, where we actually work with a small cohort of juniors or seniors in high school every year. And it's not just helping them find scholarships, although that's a key component. It's helping them develop life skills. It's helping them be ready to do what we call the next step, whether that's a two-year university, four-year university four-year university or a tech program, whatever that is, we, we help them take that step. We also help with scholarship um, initiative called v- uh, Valuable Scholarship, where we're looking for students. They don't have to be the A-plus student. We're looking for students who are working hard and who need a little assistance to further their education. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing that we do is engage people, meaning movie nights, uh, school drives, Food utility assistance um, neighborhood parties uh just things that that are the sweet spot of building camaraderie amongst people mm-hmm. uh, that's what and, we do
0: and along with camaraderie, you, you are building houses you are rehabbing <laughs> these
1: homes um you know there
0: there is certainly this community building aspect in the hub, but I, I'd love to get a sense that you know you are posting these videos to your you know your your social medias and you're walking into these homes that you know they're being framed up. They're getting drywall in there. You're talking about the ACs being put in there. And these are homes that have had, uh, I think, more than 30 families have moved into these units. Uh, you know, the the building efforts that have gone into this um, are, are pretty remarkable. H- how did you get that momentum going? And, you know, tell us a bit about sort of just, just how many homes or, or how much impact you've gotten.
1: Yeah. Uh, so – You know, I I love the homes piece especially. I have to be honest because it allows me to blend uh, both worlds for me. And here's what I mean so I call it my former life. Before being a pastor, um, I was in corporate America as well as somewhere in the nonprofit sector as well. But I have a background in electrical engineering and construction and project management. I also have an MBA. And so you mix that with working with people, and housing is the greatest place to do it because I get to build things but also work with families. And so you're right. Um, we've had the opportunity to rehab 13 homes. We're finishing up as we're talking about this. We're finishing up three, and we're starting another two. Uh, so I uh, actually starting another three. So by the time this year is over, we would have completed somewhere around 18 rehabs that has allowed us to house over 35 families Uh, that has allowed us to create one hundred and three construction jobs, many of them local people who live in the neighborhood or their office for their businesses in the neighborhood. Um, It's allowed us to um, help. Minority businesses because we we give opportunities where some don't get it, so like we've had as high as eighty percent minority participation and you're right we walk in these homes and every home I just talked about was vacant it was a vacant boarded up sometimes in some areas uh, coming apart and we put it back together uh, we've re- we restore it. And the beauty of doing that is it casts hope to people. But here's the other piece that I like as well. It helps with what I call, and many call it this too, environmental justice, which means you keep things out of landfills, you keep contaminants out of the air, because we're restoring spaces instead of demoing spaces.
0: Mm. That subject of vacancy, it's such a a theme that comes up when we talk about the conditions of, of neighborhoods like Jeff Vanderloo. And That impression that a lot of people have, which is that this is an area that is perhaps too far gone. You know, too many people have left. But that is not the lesson that you took when you saw that area.
1: Yeah. For me personally, I I always saw it as a place of opportunity. Um, And I think part of it is I'll admit my own bias uh, <laughs> and what I mean is you know my wife grew up in this neighborhood where we are my My dad grew up in this neighborhood. my mom um in her early years in her twenties, lived in this neighborhood, and so I know the value in the history and the richness of culture and while some structures are missing, I still see that culture, I still see that hope, I still see that sparkle. And what I was able to do with a team of people, I have a great team that I get to work with, is put on paper this vision for what would it look like to rebuild and then connect with different people to share it with them. So I I, I share it with whoever I can, and it just so happened that um, I was able to share it with some people who bought into it. And that helped us get some momentum early on back in 2016. That's when we bought our first house in 2016.
0: At the time, you know, should mention that you were, you know, you were a church, essentially, you were this new group, but you were relying on private donations. You were not getting um, a lot of buy-in. And it sounded like, you know, from some of the earlier interviews uh, that you did, that you were hoping that there would be more more banks or credit available and, and things you just weren't seeing at the time. Um how, what position did that put you in and, and how did you get those resources that that money really that we're talking about <laughs> to to turn the, turn these buildings into something livable
1: yeah uh great question so i we laugh about it now but it wasn't funny then in 2016 when we bought that first house like you you couldn't get a bank to look our way um and at that time you really couldn't get much philanthropy to look our way either it it was really through what I call divine connection of meeting um Kyle McClennan and Bridget McClennan, who are the founders of Brace for Impact of Foundation. And they have been doing a lot of work in Haiti and they really wanted to do some work local because they're both from St. Louis. Kyle's a Cardinals, former Cardinals player, played on the twenty eleven championship team. He wanted to do something in his home and he wanted to partner with someone who he could work alongside with together. And so a mutual acquaintance put us together. And they were what I would call and still are early adopters and supporters of us to this day. And through that relationship, we we used to do um, pre-COVID what we call road shows. We would go talk to any business, any corporation, any private person who was willing to listen to what we were trying to do and through those road shows we began to develop momentum in gifts and fundraising and we raised dollars um the first uh i want to say probably five homes that we did were all raised privately it's all private funding nothing from any state source local source any of that now that that has changed somewhat recently
0: in, in just last year. Uh, so the, the Post-Dispatch reported that the city's redevelopment arm has gotten involved. And this, this opens up things like, you know, tax abatements, looking at the property values. What has the city's, you know, entrance into this? What what power does that give you in in kind of continuing this mission and, and expanding
1: it just beyond, you know, what your own private donors can give you? Sure. it It, you know, it really serves like an endorsement, right? Because... Um people have seen us doing this work, you know, but like you mentioned, and talked about it in last year, 2021. So that's five years down the road before we get to this point. However, getting there now says, okay, um, there's going to be some strategic investment and that strategic investment can be significant now because you have certain resources that you can utilize in a healthy way to maximize community development. So, Having the city, you know, step in and and provide that designation um, is a key part in keeping the momentum going because now it allows you to attract even more funding sources. We're talking to Pastor Andre Alexander,
0: who is the lead pastor of Tabernacle Church and the president of the Tabernacle Community Development Corporation. Uh, you just mentioned that it had taken you know five years of doing this work already before the city got involved in, in designating these areas uh, for redevelopment. Um, and, and one of the things you did mention is you would, had hoped more banks would get involved. And there's this history of of banks and, and redlining, who gets mortgages, who doesn't, all of these things kind of playing out in the background until we've seen these records and seen how prevalent and how much they've shaped um, this city. D- does it feel like it didn't have to be this hard, that you didn't have to wait those five years for the city to take notice or for a bank to take notice for that matter?
1: Yeah. So, you know... Um Absolutely shouldn't have been this hard. Right. Um, It's it's the hardness of it that has discouraged many. You know, we're not the first church or first organization that has tried. You know, it's just that people got discouraged along the way when you don't have the resources you need or the interest that should be there. And so for us, banks came first. Um, As you at the grand opening uh, last week, first bank. I said it. First Bank was the first bank to give us a line of credit (laughs) 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 to do some of the work and then slowly, you know, more stepped up. And so now we have some pretty significant banking relationships uh, that help us with this work. Um, And and I don't if it's okay, I I love the name of you just because of them stepping up. Uh, Of course, as I mentioned, First Bank, uh, Midland States Bank, um, Great Southern Bank or, or and UMB Bank or. Some significant partners with us in this work. Um, now with city coming, you know, on board, uh, you know, I, I made the joke to to one of the uh, staff, "What took you so long?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, we did a lot of heavy lifting, and it's easy to lose hope when you're doing a lot of heavy lifting, and the people you feel like should be. Um, engaging, don't. But the, I'll say this: the one thing that was uh, a source of of hope and inspiration for us was the community itself saying thank you. People every now and then stopping and saying thank you for doing what you're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, to that point, you've built these houses. You have these thirty some units that families have moved in there. What kind of difference does this make for their lives? What are the ripple effects? And and what are the bigger? What's the bigger kind of web of a community? as it becomes built.
1: Yeah, so the the web itself is now you have this ecosystem starting to be formed with housing because we know that if a family or an individual doesn't have safe housing, they can't address education, they can't address economics, they can't address healthcare, they can't a, address jobs. And so now what you see happening is as families have moved in, you're seeing families become stable and you see children's attendance in school going up. You see uh, parents being able to get better employment. You're seeing families and individuals able to address health care challenges. Um, here's something else neat you see. You see other homeowners who go, wait a minute, you know, I, I want my property to look like that. Who do you work with? Hmm. Um, And we've made connections that way. Or some have just started doing stuff like renovations on their homes or updating systems or outside of the homes, new landscaping, tuck pointing roofs. So now you're starting to see this ecosystem based on hope of family and community stabilization as we slowly knock down the vacancy totals in our area.
0: Mm -hmm. And these aren't just in the abstract or theoretical. These are real houses that you've been rehabbing. These are people that are staying in this neighborhood that maybe they they would have left. Maybe they would have gone to some
1: other area. Absolutely. And not to mention people who weren't in the area who moved into our housing. They're new to the neighborhood. You know, that whole idea that everybody's just fleeing away. Well, we can tell you that's not necessarily true. Um, as we've housed people who, like you said, would have left, but we've also housed people who've actually moved from the county to the city to receive quality housing and the resources we've been able to provide.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, in our last couple of minutes, I, I wanted to maybe cast our, our eyes to the future, even after all of the activity that we've just described uh, the Tabernacle has been doing. This next stage is called the, the village, which is a much, I think, a much larger and, and sweeping Absolutely. kind of redevelopment. That is in the planning stages now. It looks like you've been doing community meetings. There is also looming the the NGA West. This a huge kind of change in the the very landscape of this area. What does this moment feel like? You know, th- this opportunity, and and what do folks like you or the city have to do to not let this opportunity pass us by?
1: Absolutely, this is truly a defining moment for us in our city. No question about it. Um, anybody else who says otherwise, I don't know where they living and breathing. This is a defining moment. Uh, When you have this much activity and synergy happening in a particular space, you have to capitalize on it. So for organizations like ours, that means finding strategic ways and strategic partners to step up and do more. And so the village, as you mentioned, is a part of that do more for us. It was a plan that started last year in May that we finished up this year in March, April. It involved meetings with stakeholders in the community, residents, business owners, other nonprofits, and looking collectively at what they thought community needs were for the long haul. When I say long haul, Village looks at the next 15 to 20 years, what does it look like to have housing? Spaces for small business, mixed income developments, places for seniors to not just age in housing, but age in community. I've been here all my life. I shouldn't have to leave. How do we bring additional resources, food, other goods and services in? So the village lays that out. And the model is it takes a village to raise a village, meaning all of us working together to pull back into this space um, so it can be a safe space for people and, and places to thrive. Pastor
0: one of the most challenging aspects of, of this whole discussion is that while we're talking about the resources that are hopefully going to be going into North City, the effects of the 15, 20 years down, you know, the last several decades, those resources have been concentrated to such an extent in the Central Corridor in other parts of the city Does this feel like playing catch up or is there an opportunity again here to really change the way this city looks? And perhaps 20 or 30 years in the future, we won't be looking back at this period the way
1: we do now. Absolutely. Great question. Um, I think it's both and. It is playing catch up, significant catch up. Let's just be clear. Uh, We're talking decades of disinvestment catch up and also an opportunity to rewrite policy so that there's strategic investment going forward so we don't get back here again 20 or 30 years later. And that is my hope.
0: Mm -hmm. And just in closing, when you think about the hub, think about that area that you're in, opening this bank branch, what does that area look like 15, 20 years down the line um, if, if this kind of neighborhood plan really produces the fruit, I think that you're hoping it does?
1: You know, I I see a neighborhood where there are people that are from very diverse backgrounds and economic statuses being able to live, thrive, in place, being able to walk to the things that they want and or need, being able to live in safe, secure housing, and being able to be proud to call where they live home. That's what I see.
0: Andre Alexander is the lead pastor of the Tabernacle Church and the president of the Tabernacle Community Development Corporation. Pastor Andre, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski.
0: Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dore. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here.
1: Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group.